Wow. Oh man, thank you, Taylor. What a what a setup. Mm. That is hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, we are continuing our series, uh, Summer of Wisdom, as we go through a, a study of Proverbs. Uh, this last week, we had our lead pastor, Scott Harris, lead us through leaving a legacy. Today, we're talking about building a culture. And this is with our tradition, our, our annual tradition of every August make in August family month. So we take all of our students, middle school, high school, as well as kids, and we pack us all together throughout each of our services, and we practice ohana, which is the Hawaiian word for family. And part of that is the, the actual family, right? But then the spiritual family, the household of faith. And so we get to do this together. I am excited. My name is Pat Lassard. If you're new, I get to be one of the pastors here, and I get a team teach. Whoa, what happened? Oh, Watch out for that crack there. Mm. That's dangerous. I get to team teach with Spencer, Spencer Kovach, and he is our student ministries summer intern. It's been a pleasure mm. having you. Yeah, That's the word fun. on the street. <laughs> and uh, if you're new with us, we have a, a, a preaching team that shares the load from week to week for lots of different reasons. One of the reasons I want to point out right now is uh, like what we're doing right now with this team teaching, it's visible discipleship. He is, he, Spencer feels called by the Lord. We have been investing in him, giving him opportunities to lead and play. He's about to go back to Chicago um, for Moody Bible Institute, actually where Sanjay is, where, he, where he's a professor. And, uh, and he is learning and growing and using those gifts and, and being faithful to that calling. And we're doing our part to help him along that way. It's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing to be able to be part of. And so, Spencer, hi. Hey. Glad you're here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Hello, North Shore. Good morning. Um, so it is an honor to be here. Um, as Pat mentioned, um, I am a member here at North Shore. I've grown up here. Um, so it's so good to be able just to give back to the community that actually uh, gave to me and formed me to who I am today. Um, now, some of you may recognize me. Uh, maybe from growing up here at the church, uh, but also I actually spoke here in main service uh, like three years ago. So it might be like, oh, I kind of recognize that guy, but maybe not. Um, but funny story about that, and actually while I tell a story, ushers, you can come forward, bring the Bible. So if you want a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get that to you. Um, but anyway, so I was doing main service. It was actually family month. So here we are, full circle. And um, first service went great. Second service went great. Um, I was feeling good. I was walking out, um, said goodbye to everyone. It, it was all, all fine and dandy, and I was just kind of reflecting, thinking about uh, kind of what happened, and I was walking, walking to my car. I'm like, ah, oh, this was good, and then I get to my parking spot. I'm like, where's my car? I could have sworn I parked it right there. In all of the history of North Shore, there has only been one car stolen from the North Shore parking lot, and that was my car the first time I preached in main service. So I don't know if that was a God thing or Satan was just trying to get in there, uh, but regardless, what I decided to do today was park in the exact same spot. So we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, so what does that have to do with today's message? 
absolutely nothing. So let's just, let's just put that in the past and let's jump straight into the text. Proverbs 15, 17, as Taylor read, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. What a weird verse. Like, wh- what does it mean, dinner of herbs or fattened ox? Is the Gen Z preacher going to start talking about veganism or whatever? Perhaps. No, we're not going that way. So let's figure out what does this mean? What does, what does this mean, and then how can we apply this to our lives? So dinner of herbs, this can be translated in other translations as like a uh, small plate of vegetables, just a small, simple meal of vegetables. Um, now, what is a fattened ox? What a, what a weird word. Well, back in the Bible days, what they would do is they would separate an ox or a, a, a cattle, um, and they'd say, okay, this is going to be the fattened ox, and they'd feed it extra. So it'd become really fat, like big chungus ox. That's what we're talking about. And they would save it for very special occasions, like feasts, festivals, um, weddings. Uh, in Matthew 22, 4, Jesus is talking about a parable, um, and he's talking about this king, and the king says, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So it's an important deal, this this slaying and eating of the fattened ox. So now we start to see this balance of like, okay, small vegetable meal, big festival, think like Thanksgiving type of thing. Like what's, okay, what's going on with that? Um, Now we have this word hatred. This is not just like a, oh, my brother took the last piece of pizza, I'm mad type of word. This is a heavy, strong word. Uh, in Psalms 25:19, it uses the same word in saying, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. So this is a strong word. It's, it's contrasted to love. Whenever you see this word in the Bible, contrasted, it's always contrasted with love. It's, it's a heavy, heavy word. So now that we know a, l- a little bit more about the verse, things will start to click. Things will start to make sense. Better is a dinner of herbs, a thing where love is, a relational concept, than a fattened ox, a thing and hatred with it, a relational concept. So what we see here is that God elevates relationships over stuff. God elevates relationships over our stuff. And this is important because if you think about it, the God of the universe, the God who created everything, put every star in place, created you, created me, knows me in my innermost being, knows you in your innermost being, knows what you need, this same God elevates relationships over stuff, that should clue us in. That should be, okay, maybe I should model my life like that. But how easy can it be to fall into this trap of focusing on stuff? Maybe it's your gaming setup or your video games you put in front of relationships. Maybe it's your social media or uh, your beauty products that you put in front of important relationships in your life. Maybe it's your car that you put in front of important relationships of your life. Maybe, dare I say, you put your child's grades before your relationship with your children. Sometimes this can be a tough thing, and this is not a culture that we can thrive in. We must be culture creators that creates 
a culture of love, as we will come to see. Pat, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I, I love just how much God does elevate relationships over stuff. I, I even think about the example of God elevating relationships over worship, which is an interesting thing. When God says, uh, if you're there at the altar and you're, you're giving your sacrifice to the Lord, you're giving your offering to the Lord, and you remember that your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift, which was a really big deal because it was one time a year that they did that as a practicing Jew. So God even elevates rela relationship over that expression of worship. God elevates relationship. And so in this passage, we want to kind of look at it, you know, different ways as well. Uh, the message translation says it's, it's better to share a crust of bread than a prime rib dinner, right? Crust of bread with love than a prime rib dinner with hate. Um, I'm going to use my context here. It's better to eat a plate of Brussels sprouts with my family, which I loathe. I don't know why God made them. I think Satan might have made them. Then with, with my family, I'd rather eat Brussels sprouts with my family and friends and those I'm close with than sushi, which is my favorite, with hatred. Or your example, better to have a little bit of vegetables with those that you love versus nachos with those that hate you, right? But it's not just about the food, right? It's about, think about the best places that you could ever be. Some of the funnest, most enjoyable places, like Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, right? It would be better to be in a trailer park with you and your friends and those that you love with simple, meager resources than to be at Disneyland with those that hate you or that you hate. It'd be better, that same scenario, to be in, say, Maui, right? To, or Hawaii, and those golden sunsets and the perfect temperature, right? It'd be better to have those simple, simple, meager resources with those that you're close with than to be fighting and conflict and divided with those in the place of paradise. Or, if you have your dream home, it's a $10 million home. It is fantastic. It's top-notch. It has everything that you want, right? But you are so separate from one another. There's so much conflict and tension that you're not close, you can't trust, and there's not love. That's not good, right? God elevates relationship over stuff because relationships are way more important, a thousand percent more important to God than stuff. We have a tendency to care more about stuff. Stuff. There is a part of us where we get too attached to and caring for our stuff. Everybody know that pole inside? Everybody know that draw, that distraction to care too much about their things, whatever those things are? 
And so with that, we're, we are wanting to follow God's example in how he goes about it. And we want to have a, a, create a culture, a, a culture that is like Jesus and values the things that Jesus values. You have a culture within your home. You have a culture. Whatever you guys have done, you've created a culture. We have a culture in our church. Whatever we've done over the years, we've created a culture. And so does every family. We have our own unique culture that we make, we make it up as we go. And each church, church family, each ohana has their own culture. And so there's a lot of things that play into culture. I want to highlight just three of them, okay? What you make most important is what you value. Things that you make most important are what your values are. If money is most important, if work is most important, if financial security is most important, then that's what you value. You can still value working hard. You can still value, value the dollar and the use of that. But it depends on where it's at in relationship to relationships, right? Do you value, is it most important that you have good relationships in your family, in your friendships, in those that are in your ohana? That you're working through things, that you are close, right? God has values of relationships. And so the question is, where am I do, do my values match God's values? Another part of creating culture is norms. We don't use that word a lot, but it's whatever's normal. Whatever's normal within your culture, whatever's normal within your home, whatever's normal within our church, whatever you just do. It's how you go about chores. It's how you go about responsibility. It's how you go about the morning. Those are your norms. It's how you handle money. It's how you handle entertainment. Those are your norms. It's just what you guys do. How, what, how you handle conflict within your relationships is your norms, is our norms. What you do, what you don't do. What you say, what you don't say. Those create what's normal, right? How you work through uh, conflicts, like, um, because we all have them. We all have them. We all are a part of them, right? And so how you work through them for resolution, that creates a norm. Or how hard you work for resolution in resolving conflict, or how hard you work at avoiding them and not dealing with it or hoping it goes away or just being busy and distracted, those create norms. Those create culture. And then one more would be our beliefs. Our beliefs create culture. And, and I say truths, truths that guide you because there's truth that create beliefs and then there's false truths that create false beliefs. And so what you believe is how, uh, what guides you. And so in life, when push comes to shove, those deep beliefs come out of what life is about. If life is truly satisfied by what you really want is getting more stuff or checking things off the list of your to-do list or accomplishing certain things, if that's what you believe life is about, 
That's your belief, and you're gonna live that out, and you're gonna create a culture like that as well. Same for us within the church. Or if it's lining up to God of going, God, what do you say life is about that I'm to follow your belief in? Then it creates that culture too. So God elevates relationships over stuff, and we're called to create a culture. And in following Jesus' example, it's a culture of love within the home, within our friendships, within our ohanas, within the church. Culture of love. Yeah, totally. I, I love those, those nuts and bolts of, uh, of what, what a culture is. And um, now you can kind of break it apart and, and see and now have a better way to implement it into your life. Um, and speaking of like implementing it, um, how do we go about doing it? We're talking about, okay, we got to be culture creators and we got to create a culture of love. How do we go about doing that? What does that actually look like? And I think before we can answer that, we have to first answer the question um, and understand what does biblical love actually look like? What, is, what does it entail? Because actually what society says is love and what the Bible says is love are two totally different things. Society has a tendency to put the emphasis on the feelings. Um, in romantic love, it's the feelings. In parental love, it's the feelings. In friendship love, it's the feelings. And d don't get me wrong, those are good, those are beautiful things that uh, are given to us by God that we should enjoy. But the biblical version of love, there's so much more to it. It's so much more vivid, so much more beautiful, and it's something that we have to look into so that we know how exactly to live it out. So uh, turn with me to John 13. John 13, 34 through 35. And a little bit of context, this is Jesus. He's talking, uh, this is right after the Last Supper, uh, right before Jesus is gonna get arrested, before he's dying. He's talking to his disciples and he's giving them instruction. So in John 13, 34 through 35, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the first thing that we kind of see in this biblical view of love is that love is actually a commandment. It's not something that we just like kind of ebb and flow through. It's a commandment. And if we, if we sit with that and if we start to think about it, it's like, okay, if it's a commandment, then that means love is a choice. Because what a commandment is, is saying, hey, when you get presented with this choice, here's what I want you to do. If I should lie or if I should not lie, you should not lie. If I should love or if I should not love, you should love. So we start to see that love is a choice. And this begins to separate from the uh, worldly view, the society view of love, because that means we can still choose to love people even when those feelings aren't there. And in fact, even when those feelings of negativity are there, like I don't really like that person, guess what? You're still called to love them. So we start to see this bigger picture of what love is. Uh, but another thing I want to point out, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
if we are Christians, our lives should be marked with love. Outsiders should look in and say, you know that guy, Spencer? He just, he just loves people around him. What's, what's with that? I got I to gotta know what, what that's all about. And that should be true for all of us because it's a commandment. But also in our new nature, this love um, that Jesus has shown us is an outpouring towards other people. So we see this biblical love is a commandment, it's a choice. It is a sign as a believer. So I've been skirting around the object uh, or, or the, the main idea, um, but I'm going to face it head on right now and show you guys in the Bible the answer to the age-old question. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. It's <laughs> for the adults. Um, but no, what is love? How do we go about choosing love? Well, the best way to uh, give this to you guys is through an example. So Romeo and Juliet, um, classic love example. You got a guy, loves a girl, fall madly in love. It's great. Um, then their families say, no, no, you guys can't be together. And what they choose instead of not being together is they can't imagine life without each other, so they end up killing themselves. And that's a, that's a heavy thing. But I don't think that's a good example of love. Maybe another example. As Pat mentioned, I love nachos. Nachos are great, and that's not like, like just a thing. Like, a birthday, we have nachos. Christmas, nacho bar. Um, I've had nachos for breakfast before. I went, went to a diner once, it was in the morning, and I'm like, I'm feeling nachos. But anyway, I don't think that's a good example either, because that is a love towards a thing, an object. And we're starting to learn that we should elevate relationships over things. So what, what, is this, what is this example of love? Well, the good news is, is we have a demonstration, the best demonstration of love in history. What is that example? It's the cross. Everything in Christianity, everything about love always comes back to the gospel. The fact that Jesus came down, lived a sinless life in our place, died, got what we deserved so that we can be forgiven. Romans 5.8 puts it perfectly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's sit in that. I don't want to gloss over that. This is, this is important. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In those five words, we give God every reason not to love us while we were still sinners. And yet, do you know what he does? He still looks us in the eye and says, I love you, and I want you. And I'm going to demonstrate that through sending the most important thing, my son, to die in your place. That is biblical love. So we see a chief hallmark of what love is, it's sacrifice. It's putting other people's needs before our own. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is how we choose love. This is the commandment, to put others' needs before our own, regardless of who they are. We're told to love our neighbor. 
we're told to love our enemy, the people that we hate, we're still called to love. And there's something beautiful in that because if you choose to put others' needs before your own, those feelings start to um, thrive more. It's in a better culture because you're putting others' needs before your own. And if you develop this in a healthy way in the home, then you have so many people looking out for the needs of each other. And I think that's how it's supposed to be, a healthy culture of love. So we see a culture of love is a culture of deeds, not legalistically, but out of, I'm going to do this for you because I love you. I'm going to wash the dishes, Mom. Even though you told me I can't play video games, I'm going to wash the dishes because I choose to love you. Not because, oh, it's a good thing to do, it's because I want to show my love towards you. So I think there's, there's even more practical ways um, to go about doing that, and I think Pat will get into some of those. Yeah, as we, as we uh, bring this to a close, there we always want to bring it to some practical next steps. You know, what is it? What is it that God's stirring in you? And I can't help but just uh, just think about as you read that passage. Was it John thirteen? Of a new command I give you. I don't know. It just kind of hit me a little different today. Um, I'm telling you what to do. <laughs> a command I'm giving you. God commands you to love. God is telling you what to do. None of us like being told what to do, but under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we submit and surrender to him. We go, you're the boss, you're the king, you're the best. It's way better to follow you and your rule than it is me and mine. So in this situation that I'm faced with, in my home, my friendships, my workplace, in my church, wherever that relationship is that comes to mind right now, <laughs> it's hard, right? You'd rather do something else. God tells us exactly what to do. I command you. That's a pretty strong deal. You know, and thinking about the relationships too, some of you might have not heard this before, some of you have, but even the Ten Commandments, go to the Big Ten, they are all about relationships. It's not about rules, it's about relationships. When you steal, does that break relationship? Yes, because it breaks trust. If you commit adultery, does that break relationship? Yes, it does because it breaks trust. If you murder someone, does that break relationship? You betcha, last time I checked, right? Even having idols, does that break relationship? Does that affect relationship? You bet it does. When we make created things more important and give them too much worth, too much value, too much attachment to created things above God, you betcha. He's saying, don't do that. It's gonna hurt you. Don't do that. And even in this, command, I command you to love. 
So what's, what's God doing in you? What's God doing in you? I'd have to say for me, that, that just resonates with me. I'm going to have to kind of chew on that and, and pray on that. Perhaps uh, you're here and this is kind of all new to you. Maybe you're new and this is new and you're curious about this relationship with Jesus and you're seeking, what does this mean? It's not an accident that you're here. The Spirit of God is at work in your life drawing you to Him. Anyone who the Father draws, draws, He draws through His Son to the Father and He's at work in your life. And a relationship with Him is possible because He loves so much, He made it possible and he'd love for you to know him and the life that he has for you. And it starts with a conversation we call prayer. You can talk to him. You can ask for forgiveness for things that have been wrong. You can ask him to help you, to lead you, to guide you. We'd love to help you. If you need help with that conversation, we'd love to help you in that conversation. For many of us, we've made that decision maybe a long time ago. And, uh, and in this, okay, Lord, what is it that you're doing? We have, we have kind of a mantra here. It's a part of our vision is to radically love one another. It's, it's a path in following Jesus and being like Jesus to radically love one another. What does this look like in creating this culture to radically love those that are in your life? What does this look like for you to radically forgive that person? What does it look like for you to radically accept and embrace that person? What does it look like for you to radically invite that person into your home? What does it look like for you to radically be generous with that person? What does it look like for you to radically love one another and follow in Jesus' commandments and Jesus' teachings, radically loving? Or another option could be maybe just kind of in this, God's highlighted some things that you valued more than relationships. You valued some things that are uh, not as important to God. And God's saying you need to put some relationships before that. You need to fight for relationships. You need to pursue the relationships. You need to set this aside. You need to change your value here to my value and how I see it. What's God doing in you? What's God doing in you? We just want to give a, a moment for you to just pray on that briefly. And then we're going to share communion together, which is a, a normal practice within our ohana of the love of Christ and him perfectly expressing himself. What's God doing in you? Talk with him.
as the servers come forward right now and distribute the elements of communion, uh, this is this is a, a normal, th this is part of our culture, right? This is a normal practice for us that Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. And it's a beautiful expression of his love. And so for some, this might be the first time you've ever taken communion. And it's a beautiful thing. This, this is something that Jesus asks us to remember and continue to practice until uh, we are together with him in heaven he was at dinner with his friends and he was at the meal that he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he gave it to his friends and he says, this is my body. We won't take it yet. I'm just going to walk through it here for a sec. He says, this is my body given for you. His, his life was a life to remember. His life was a life to follow. He came in and God, Emmanuel, God with us, he lived with us. He lived before us. He is the most influential, most radical person who has ever walked the earth, Jesus. And we're followers of his. And he had this cup of wine for us, juice. He says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, which is a beautiful thing. Anything we had ever done anything we are doing, anything we are going to do, paid in full by Jesus, by God himself on the cross because of love. And he spilled out this culture of love that's transformational from the inside out. So if you've never taken it before and you've come with someone, regardless of how old you are, we're going to give you a moment to have a conversation. If you're a parent, you're having a conversation with kids or you're a friend having a conversation with a friend to talk through it or if you have a question, we're gonna give you a moment, space to be able to have a conversation. If that's not where you are, you know what you're doing, have a conversation with the Lord. God, thank you. We wanna make sure that we never take communion in an unworthy manner. It's not something we just do religiously. It's, it's expression of our worship. Have a conversation with the Lord. Have a conversation with your friend. Have a conversation with your littles. remember Jesus. This piece of bread represents his life, his love. Take and eat, remembering him. This cup of juice is a perfect picture of God elevating relationship, removing the barriers, the obstacles, the things in the way so that we could be right and clean and restored with our God. Let's take and drink and remember. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. Love it.
And we're going to finish up our time together with this beautiful song, uh, Graves to Gardens. And I, I, I love this song because it highlights that God is better than life itself. God is better. Him and his ways are better. And we want to follow him in that example. Will you stand up and sing? Let's worship our King.